Welcome to In Search of Wisdom, a podcast by the Perennial Leader Project. On today's episode, my guest is Sky Cleary, the author of the new book, How to Be Authentic. Sky is a philosopher and writer. She teaches at Columbia University and the City University of New York, and is also the author of Existentialism and Romantic Love. In the conversation, Sky and I discuss Simone de Beauvoir and why she is an important figure today, the challenges of defining existentialism, the idea of becoming, whether it's possible to know yourself, the problem with labels, wisdom and daily life, and so much more. I really enjoyed the conversation and book. I encourage you to check out Sky's website, which is skycleary.com. Without any further ado, please welcome the wise and gracious Sky Cleary. Guy, welcome to In Search of Wisdom. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thank you. It's great to be here and good to see you. Oh, and talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to this. I have to say, to start, you have written a beautiful book. How does it feel? You've been waiting a while for how to be authentic to come and be released out in the world, and we're almost there. How does it feel? I have a lot of feelings about it. Um, yeah, on the one hand, it's it's a relief, but on the other hand, it's also somewhat terrifying, you know, to have my my uh, ideas and and work out in the world. Um, and this is this book is uh, a touch more personal than the, the than the other books. So I'm kind of putting myself out there in a much more vulnerable way than my past two books, and that's um, that's a little scary. But uh, <laughs> I'm. Uh, yeah, just it's 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 all happening. So it's exciting as well. Yeah, I love it. Well, and I appreciate you sharing and and coming on. I I'm, I'm excited to to talk about it. Uh before we get into the book though, I'm curious. I I ask most people that study and teach philosophy as a profession, what started you down this particular path in in life? Yeah, a lot of things. Um, I think I had, um, you know, an, an existential crisis in my twenties, um, where I, I, I mean, I started studying philosophy in my undergraduate degree, but I just a year of that, and it didn't really grab me. Um, but then I was reintroduced to philosophy during my MBA, which was at Macquarie University in Australia, and I was learning about, um, you know. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir in an organizational behavior class and, and Schopenhauer in a foundations of management thinking class. And so lots of different um, uh, uh, kind of exposures, I guess, to, to philosophy in that realm. And I was... It, um, I was hooked. I was like, "Who? What is this? Who are these people? Like, why didn't I learn about this in my undergraduate degree?" Uh, and so at the time, I was also... Um, dealing with uh, a lot of other questions in my life, um, especially when it came to expectations of what I was meant to be doing. Like, what did it mean to be um, a good student or a good employee or a good girlfriend? And I was kind of torn between what I thought I wanted for myself and what other people wanted for me. And so I, part of my research, initially I was writing about love, existentialism and romantic love um to and part of that was thinking through well what does it mean to be in a relationship and how do you balance um freedom with commitment and how do you negotiate those um you know being with another person but you know and another part of that was trying to figure out well what is what is an authentic self you know and I saw a lot of 
um, I guess I've read a lot about authenticity being something about finding your true self. And so it was a very sort of, it's often taken to mean, you know, a bit of an introspective kind of look at who you are. But that didn't necessarily make sense to me because I was like, well, how do you even go about finding your true self? How do you, how would you recognize your true self once, once you found it? And, you know, what if, your true self isn't, you know, a very good person. You know, what what, what are you meant to do? Anyway, so all these sorts of questions. Um, And through my writing about love, I learned about Simone de Beauvoir. And so I I already knew that she had talked a little bit about authenticity. And so I kind of, yeah, that sort of started me off on, on this path to think about, you know, authenticity in a much deeper way. Let me ask a a curiosity question around you studied business, MBA. If someone listening was to maybe pull up a Harvard Business Review article on topic, whether it's authenticity or something else, what's different about a philosophical exploration? So I tend to see psychology as applied philosophy (laughs) Um, because we, you know, we've had philosophy for thousands of years that have dealt with questions of, of psychology. And um, so I think they're, they're very similar, but of course now psychologists will go out and like interview people and do surveys and, and things like MRI scans and things like that. Whereas, you know, usually I mean, there is certainly a lot of crossover, but, you know, I guess in, in a pure classic sense, philosophy doesn't do that so much, but it talk philosophy would, um, I mean, it means love of wisdom. So, um, you know, as I'm sure you know from the title of your podcast as well, but um, yeah, so it, philosophy is in search of wisdom and really the the getting to the the true meaning of things and understanding you know what what life is about and you know not necessarily through through surveys but through thinking you know logically and rationally about about what we should do in the world and how we should get along with other people uh so philosophy i think one way to think about it is Philosophy is about what we should do because and bringing ethics into it, whereas psychology and social psychology might be more about, okay, what, what do we do? On this topic of authenticity, are there any differences that come to mind when you pick up maybe a standard modern research paper on, on being authentic compared to what you're writing about in the book? So I have read plenty of Harvard Business <laughs> Review articles and other yeah. articles on on authenticity, and quite and, and a really strong theme is referring back to you know your true self, and especially in Harvard Business Review, it's all about you know bringing your true self to work, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, because of course organizations don't reward you being your true self. You know they reward conformity and um, you know fitting in with with what everyone's doing. Um, but what I like about Simone de Beauvoir's idea of authenticity, that it isn't looking for, you know, peeling away the layers of the onion to, to look for what's at the core. What it is rather is a more forward-looking, future-oriented process. So it's not authenticity isn't a thing inside you. It's a process of creating who you are and, and becoming who you choose. Uh, so it's not um, so it's a much more more of a dynamic process of, of doing and acting in the world and engaging in the world. Uh, so more extrospection, I guess, rather than you know pure introspection, which can sort of devolve, I guess, into into um, egoism and and self obsession. I love it. But before we get too far, I want for any listeners that are that are not familiar with Simone de Beauvoir. Who is she? Why is she an important figure today? Sure. Yeah, she was a French existential philosopher. And she was writing mostly between like the 1930s and the, and uh, ni- she died in 1986. And she's most famous for her book called The Second Sex, which was published in 1949. And that book was all about what it means to be a woman 
and why women have been subordinate to men for for so long in so many uh, cultures. Um, And so it was very much an analysis of of women's situation, but it also had um, some, you know, concluded with some um, forward-looking chapters such as, um, you know, thinking about what does it mean to be an independent woman. And so she very much I mean, she wasn't the reason for the wave wave of feminism, but she was certainly one of the, I guess, pillars of feminism during the 1950s and 60s. And a lot of the feminist activists like Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem and Kate Millett were all inspired by her. And I think one of the reasons she endures is, I mean, certainly because of the the topic she was writing about. Um, She was writing about um, women's independence and fighting for women to have rights over their own body and thinking about how femininity and masculinity are are regulated and policed and how that affects us um, in terms of, you know, for her and bringing it back to authenticity, you know, you can't be authentic. You can't create yourself. If you're being railroaded into social norms, social roles, into gendered expectations of what you're supposed to be doing, and if you're punished for for not conforming. And another term that maybe we could attempt to to define and talk about is existentialism. And, (laughs) you know, I've, I've learned that you know, what is existentialism is maybe not the, the greatest question or, you know, a bit too big of a question to, to answer briefly. But maybe it could be helpful to touch on this idea of existence precedes essence, if you could. Yeah, sure. And you're right. I mean, it's really a, a defining existentialism is a quagmire because, you know, there are many different existential philosophers and they all had different ideas. So really, it's more like a group of overlapping themes like choice, freedom, responsibility, death, authenticity and anxiety. Um, but, you know, if I had to sum up existentialism in three words, it would be what you said, existence precedes essence. And this is certainly what um, Beauvoir uh, focused on. Um, and, you know, the, the idea is that we, we don't choose to be born. So we're thrown into the world. Um, we, we don't choose how we arrive. We don't choose where we arrive. But once we're here, once we become conscious, you know, we have to create our lives. We have to choose our lives. And this is one of the reasons that Jean-Paul Sartre is famous for saying we're condemned to be free because we're responsible for our choices. But also it's crazy because we, we actually can't choose everything about our lives. And so that creates a lot of, lot of anxiety. But it also is exciting and liberating. And something um, that Beauvoir says is that I take on a shape and existence only if I first throw myself into the world. And so her definition is, um, you know, she 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 actually said um, it annoyed her when people asked, you know, to ask her to define existentialism in like, you know, a sentence or two, because she says, you know, nobody ever asked Hegel or Kant to sum up their philosophy in 25 words or less. Um, but anyway, she, she, her, she kind of did. And her <laughs> mission is that um, existentialism uh, postulates the value of the individual as the source and reason for being of all significations and all colors yet it admits that the individual has reality only through his or her engagement in the world. So what she's getting at there is, yes, existence precedes essence, but also, you know, it comes down to each of us as individuals to choose ourselves, to to create our lives, to create um, our reason for being here on earth, to create meaning in our life. But it's not just a solo adventure. It's not just up to us because we coexist with other people and our lives only take on meaning through our relationships with other people and through our engagement in the world. 
it's a seems to be a, a beautiful and inspiring idea and and philosophy. You know, I, I'm curious. What are the arguments against being an existentialist? You know, at least that aspect of it. It seems to me that it would be hard to to argue against that. Well, I think. I mean, I tend to agree with you, <laughs> but I mean, one of the um, uh, but Beauvoir's not telling you you should go and be authentic. She's like, that's up to you. That's your choice. Yeah. And and a lot of it, it is hard to be authentic because it's it's hard to see ourselves as you know responsible for our decisions and responsible for our lives. And it takes a lot of courage to to go out there and really take risks. Um, you know, uh, Oprah once said that if um, she wishes she discovered or it, something like if she'd known authenticity was so profitable, she would have done it sooner. Um, <laughs> so, no, I mean, I, I don't think authenticity is necessarily profitable because what it involves is putting ourselves out in the world, taking risks, trying things. And that's that's one of the um, caveats of of being creative is that maybe you'll fail, maybe you'll you'll make mistakes, and it's also challenging because we do tend to get caught um, in you know the hamster wheels of of work and and social roles, and and we get stuck on autopilot, um, and you know go through the motions. So it's easy to not to think about you know, our, our presence in the world and, and, and our being. And it's easy just to go along with what's expected of us and, and what other people are telling us to do. And so becoming authentic partly is is about rebellion, you know, pushing back on on what other people uh, want us to do, um, which, which makes it all very challenging. And so which brings us to another of the limitations is that it's maybe it's a bit you, a bit um i was going to say utopic but it's it's utopian uh, mm. in some ways because you know it's it's an ideal that she's um putting out there and it's not like it's it's real even really an achievable ideal because since authenticity is a process it's not like we can put a you know a certificate on our wall saying now i'm authentic i've reached you know the realm of authenticity and now i'm good it's not like that because it's authenticity is revealed through our engagement in the world and and our actions and it's what we do and sometimes we we misstep. I I love it. I'm excited to to get into it. One more question on existentialism though before we get into the specifics of, of how to be authentic and and things like that. Uh, you co-edited a book that I love that came out of two or three years ago, maybe how to live a good life. And it has 15 different you know, philosophies of, of life in it. Is existentialism a philosophy of life in a similar way to stoicism or, or Buddhism? I think of these, you know, like perspectives, uh, principles and practices and things like that. Could you maybe compare it against, you know, another philosophy of, of, of life? Any thoughts there? Sure. So a funny, a quick story is that, in fact, um, so Massimo Pagliucci, who uh, writes a lot on stoicism, um, so it was the, one of the co-editors of the book, we were chatting on a podcast, specifically Dan Kaufman's podcast, who is one of the other editors of the book, and we were saying how – it was interesting how Stoicism and existentialism were both trying to think about philosophy as a way of life. And so what that means is not just armchair abstract philosophizing, but really, okay, well, let's take philosophy and see how we can live it. How, how does it matter for our everyday lives? And so that's where we're like, oh, we should write a book about that. So that's mm -hmm. how, that's how that came about. But you're you're absolutely right as far as um say stoicism goes. There are you know specific practices like 
I don't know, having a cold shower sometimes to remind yourself um, of how great hot water is and, and to be grateful and or to do journaling, things like that. So at, for existentialism, there is um, no specific practices or um, it's not it's not prescriptive in, in a sense like that. It's much more descriptive saying, okay, and it, because it comes from a more phenomenological perspective like thinking about okay well what is it like to be in the world and what is the experience of being in the world and also for existentialists because as we said before existence precedes essence and it's up to us to create our essence and that's an individual choice albeit in recognizing that we are in a web of relationships and so there is an ethical component to it but it's up to us to choose our own meaning in life and and figure out ourselves how to get there but these existential philosophies provide I guess a sort of framework they provide a language to think about the choices we're making and they provide like some guideposts to say you know these things might be worth thinking about um, but really it's, it's up to you, but, you know, Simone de Beauvoir certainly thought that, um, if we think about what it means to be authentic and create our lives and ourselves in authentic ways and acknowledge other people are trying to do the same thing, then our lives will be more fulfilling. Hmm. Beautiful. I, I think that's really helpful. Thank you so much for that, Sky. Uh, let's transition into this uh, the topic of, I guess, becoming, I, I want to read this quote that I just love from the book. And if I could ask you one question, it would be something on this. And you write in the book for Beauvoir, there's no fixed essence to our being since we are always becoming something other than we are today. And you've touched on that, on this idea previously, but I, I find it just beautiful and inspiring so let me ask a difficult question how do we how do we do that here's <laughs> <laughs> a difficult question um but okay so first of all i love that how you picked up on the element of becoming as opposed to being and so then because you know beauvoir talks about okay so there's part of her idea here is romantic, I guess with a capital R, in the sense that we're constantly annihilating our past selves and creating ourselves anew. But it's not like we're completely getting rid of our past selves. Um, but what we need to understand about our lives is that we're a synthesis of our past, present, and future. And our past doesn't it shapes who we're becoming. It shapes how we project ourselves into the future, but it doesn't define us in an absolute way. And so there's a lot of freedom with that with that idea. So someone who's, um, I guess, just because I'm I have been an academic in the past doesn't mean I I must be an academic and continue in that career my whole life. I can actually you know shift careers and do something you know completely different. Um. And so what distracts us from, from doing that and kind of reaching out and creating ourselves in new ways are what Beauvoir called mystifications. And so mystifications are myths about who we are and what we're supposed to be and their illusions or delusions um, that get in the way of us creating ourselves in, in authentic ways. Um, and it comes back to, again, the idea of existence preceding essence, that if we don't, you know, stretch ourselves into the world and, and create our essence, or if we're prevented from doing that, that, then we're just existing. We're not becoming. We're not growing in any meaningful way. Um, Jean-Paul Sartre described it as, and Beauvoir as well described it as, um, you know, a being in itself versus a being for itself. And a being in itself is, for example, a rock. A rock just is. A rock doesn't have possibilities for itself. It can't even change itself. It's just, you know, subject to the elements of wind and water around it. 
And so if we just plod on through life, you know, not making any choices, we're, we're a bit like that rock. Whereas a being for itself is, is full of possibilities. A being for itself makes choices, makes decisions, shapes itself and the world around it. I was going to say it, him or her, shapes the world around themselves. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's the focus on a being for itself is something that can, can become more than it is. And this is why Jean-Paul Sartre talked about being a nothingness because we're actually both. We are, there are facts of our existence, but we're also nothingness in the sense that, you know, we're never complete and, until death. You know, there's always that gap or that lack of what we're becoming in our future. I, I love, I love this stuff. Um, when it comes to, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the consulting type of thing or a Harvard Business Review uh, article on, on being authentic. You, you talked about these illusions or labels, the existential, not a, not a fan of nabel, labels. I think Kierkegaard said, you know, label me, you negate me. But if you would read, and maybe I'm incorrectly stereotyping a particular, you know, how to be authentic article, it might want to assign some, some labels. There might be a personality type of test that, you know, maybe assigns people labels, which are, I don't know, aren't those illusions? It, it seems to be very different from the idea of becoming like each and every day, becoming every day. I'm not sure my question there, but a little bit of thoughts of the, the contrast, like why are labels a, a problem in adopting this approach like maybe how might it change our lives if we're a little you know leery of of labels yeah and you're spot on um i mean simone de beauvoir was very um cautious of labels um you know even um they you know uh in terms of the label existentialist you know beauvoir pushed back against that i, I think um gabriel marcel coined sartre uh, an existentialist and sartre was like what is that like what do you mean and you know Beauvoir as well and so everybody started calling Beauvoir and Sartre existentialists and they they resisted for a long time and then they're like oh well let's maybe we should just go with it and so they just <laughs> embraced it after a while because they're like okay um but it comes back to the idea of of I guess the rock, you know, where, you know, there are fixed elements to our existence and labels. If we define ourselves by certain labels, we're kind of, you know, associating ourselves to be like, like a rock instead of something that's, um, or instead of a person that's, that's dynamic and, and constantly changing. But I mean, we live within a society that, that loves to label us. Um, and, but it can be, really problematic so if you're you know labeled a uh you know a, a woman or a mother you know there are sp specific expectations that come come with being being a mother um and actually there's a famous example um i'm going back to sartre again for this um that he talks about a waiter and this is in being a nothingness he talks about there's this waiter who fulfills his role to perfection and he does you know goes through all the motions now the problem is if that waiter sees themselves only as a waiter and doesn't see themselves as someone who can transcend that condition who can be other other things in life and who can um, you know, transform their career or have a life, you know, outside being a waiter. But again, if we get stuck in these, these labels that can, you know, labels are a fact of life. You know, we, we all have jobs, we all have to pay the bills. Um, and so, yeah, we get labeled there. But um, if we're summing up who someone is entirely in that label, then that becomes problematic because we're, there are so many different dimensions to our being and none of us can be summed up in just, you know, one, you know, whether it's a label or, you know, one of 16 squares in a personality test or, or something like that. Human reality is, and human consciousness is so much more complicated than that. How about self-awareness or this maxim of know thyself? Is that 
possible? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> well, I also think that this um, relates to the idea of being a nothingness. You know, we are part of our being is is a lack. Part of you know, we're we're always in process. So, how can we know if we're a rock? I mean, maybe we can end up knowing a lot about ourselves. Maybe if we define ourselves by, you know, one particular label, then we can know ourselves. But that's that's not what human reality is. Human reality is always stretching. There's always shifting. Um, I'm a philosopher today, maybe not tomorrow. So how do I become, how do I know myself if I'm just, you know, sticking to the label of philosopher? Um, so I guess, yeah, self-awareness, it's important to understand who, who, who we're becoming. It's important to understand our past so we can kind of see ourselves in, in that arc I was talking about. And in fact, Simone de Beauvoir says that, you know, children aren't responsible really until they can see themselves in that kind of arc of, you know, having a past, present and future. Um, and, and that's, you know, understanding and awareness is really what, um, makes us a, you know, a conscious, you know, um, being capable of decisions and responsibility. Um, so yeah, that looking at the past and the present certainly helps us understand our situation, but you know, what is this self that we're trying to, trying to be aware of? I mean, that's always in flux. That's always changing. So that's why I think that's, you know, a, a limiting concept to think about. Speaking of, of flux, like I have a note here, cause I'm really curious on this podcast, it's in search of wisdom, but from a very practical standpoint, like how do we do this? Some of these things are very difficult. And to me, something of like Heraclitus 2,500 years ago, talking about everything being in constant change, you know, no one steps in the same river twice. The, the river's not the same. They're not the same. It seems to be something that we have to meditate on or it seems to be helpful to to meditate on or maybe understand this the principle of impermanence which is kind of foundational in in buddhism as as well how do you think about that because maybe it's a little easier said than done on we're becoming every day we're it, i guess what i'm saying is that it, it seems to be a pull to see ourselves as a as a fixed object we have to remind ourselves that we're constantly changing and and things like that uh, yeah absolutely i think we um you know we tend to want permanence because it provides a sense of security in our lives and to recognize that that might not be the case is brings a lot of anxiety um but this is one of i think you know, maybe this is one of the practices of, of existentialism is like putting putting ourselves in question, you know, thinking about um, who who we're becoming, thinking about, you know, our situation, questioning, you know, what choices we're making and are we making these choices, I guess, with, you know, um, authentically or are we making certain choices because it's what our situation and, and everything around us is is pressuring us to do. So part of the process of authenticity is, yeah, I think as you say, questioning to to think about um, what we're doing as compared to um, the the expectations of, of modern life and modern society. When you, when you think about the end of the day or or some end of day review, living an examined life, looking in the rearview mirror at your day. You know, how does one know that they're living authentically and, and thinking for themselves and not necessarily following the crowd? Yeah, so this is um, an existential problem is, is, you know, you've probably heard of the existential leap, which is, you know, making when you make decisions, you know, it's it can be very um, generate a lot of anxiety because when you make big life-changing decisions you don't know where you're going to land you don't know what's going to happen in the future um, but you know in order to to live I, um, we need to make those those existential leaps constantly um, and you know I guess if you if you make that leap and 
things work out and you're like, yep, this is where I wanted to be, um, then maybe you can say, okay, that that seemed authentic to me. Um, but if you like think about, okay, you land somewhere and you're like, oh, wow, actually, I maybe I did that because that was going to please my parents or something, then, you know, maybe that's yeah, and that's the other thing. We're also unreliable narrators for ourselves. So, yes, we can judge things in retrospect, but whether we're how it's it's difficult to attribute reasons to things we've done in the past. So, but I do think you know reflection and you know regular reflection on on the choices we're making and thinking about the choices where we're going to make in the future like that's that's part of holding yourself in question and that's very core to to an existential way of thinking the big thing that comes up in the book is this you know we we have freedom to become every day but that freedom also comes with responsibility could you talk about navigating freedom and responsibility in daily life you know, something Simone de Beauvoir says in The Ethics of Ambiguity is that whether we're, we do nothing or whether we act, we always weigh upon the earth. And she says, every refusal is a choice. Every silence has a voice. Our very passivity is willed. And in order not to choose, we still must choose not to choose. It's impossible to escape. <laughs> um, so, you know, what she's saying there is that, yeah, we're responsible for what we do. We're responsible for what we don't do. Um, doing nothing is a choice too. And, you know, we're, so we're responsible to ourselves, but we're also responsible for other people because we coexist. And the world is, she talks about how the world is flooded with human actions and human meanings and people going about their day, trying to do, trying to do their own thing, trying to make their own lives meaningful. And so we each form the facts or what she calls facticity of one another's reality. And so that means that, you know, she rejects the Dostoevskyan idea that um, if God is dead, anything goes. She's like, no, we don't have the freedom to do whatever we like because if we value freedom for ourselves, then we must value it for other people. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. So <laughs> acknowledging that our choices have consequences for ourselves but also other people and, and the whole world is critical because if you just have freedom and no responsibility, then you're going to devolve into individualism or hedonism. Um, and that is not where Beauvoir was going. She's like, freedom is only meaningful when you look at responsibility as well. Mm. I'm curious, as I come back to this end of day review thing and maybe Seneca's in my in my ear a bit on this end of day review when you think about responsibility if i've adopted the cardinal virtues maybe i'm i'm doing that end of day review and i have a bit of responsibility to courage justice wisdom and temperance i'm i'm looking at it against some sort of principles you know what is that responsibility to in reflection, you know, responsibility, are there any particular specific virtues that, that come, that come about of, of how one maybe, did you meet the mark? Did you miss the mark? Yeah. So Beauvoir certainly didn't, um, get into, you know, these sort of abstract virtues like like temperance or whatever um she was much more interested in kind of concrete relations but i think mm. one of the virtues she does get closest to is something called intersubjectivity which is you know mutual recognition and respect for one another's being one another's ways of being and freedom and so what that means is, and this is partly why she um, avoids, you know, that radical individualism, is that this concept of intersubjectivity acknowledges that, you know, I'm not the whole universe. You know, you exist just like I do. Like I'm, I'm a subject and you're an object to me, but you're also a subject and I'm an object to you. 
Um, and your choices matter just as much as my choices matter. And we share this same human condition, this absurd condition of us <laughs> being thrown here on the earth. And that recognition, that intersubjective recognition is for her the foundation of, of ethical behavior. Speaking of ambiguity and uncertainty and all of this stuff, there is a quote in the book that I, I just love. And it says, there is hardly a sadder virtue than resignation. How do we move forward and, and navigate in the, in the uncertainty and the ambiguity? Yeah, it takes courage. <laughs> um, and it takes courage to realize that there is always going to be uncertainty in everything we do and in the world. There's always going to be a risk in action. Um, we might fail, and that's scary. But what she's saying in, in that quote um, is that you know, failure is a fact of life. You know, and we need to embrace it, and and it's not an excuse for for doing nothing. You know, we have to, even if we fail, even if we make mistakes, we need to get up again and try again and engage in the world. Um, otherwise, if we just withdraw and 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 do nothing, then you know we're being like that rock, and we're especially in the face of injustices and oppression. If we're doing nothing, then we become responsible for the the consequences of that. We become complicit. Um, we are end up responsible for um, for all the miseries in the world. Um, and so we get we end up with our hands dirty with indifference. Mm. Um, and so Beauvoir's one of her kind of mantras that she says in an interview after the second sex, she says, don't gamble on the future, act now without delay. And so there's very much an urgency to uh, Beauvoir's philosophy in terms of, you know, yes, if we respect freedom for ourselves, we respect it for others. So if you have freedom, if you're in a position of, of privilege, then you have a responsibility to try and open up the future for, for other people too. And it's even more critical because, yeah, she was an atheist. And so she's like, hey, we're both, even if you're not an atheist, even if you do believe in an afterlife or, or heaven or hell, you know, the point is that we probably only have one of this life. And that makes this life infinitely precious. And actually, she talks about this in um, a book called uh, A Very Easy Death, which is about the death of her mother and her mother was very very religious and but her mother was very uh was terrified of death and you know everyone would say well she's so religious why is she afraid of death and you know the reason was that well at least Beauvoir hypothesizes that no she liked she liked being on earth she liked being on this <laughs> earth she didn't want to leave mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um so yeah, so that that brings an urgency to to our actions and to to our choices and and to our responsibility to to um, you know get along in the world with other people. Living in a authentic life is it a a unique path? I, I think of um, maybe some of the things I, I've read or, or or something like that. There's many people on the on the path that you're traveling, like it's, it's possibly not yours or, or maybe if there's no obstacles along the path, you're, you're on someone else's is our authentic life, uh, a, a unique one. Is that something we should think about? I think that our lives are, uh, yeah, that our lives are, we're individuals, our lives are unique, and our paths are going to be be unique. They're, they are going to be different. and But that doesn't necessarily invalidate if you choose a similar path to other people. Okay, so I'm thinking about, um, let's see, I'm thinking about having kids or, you know, getting married, that sort of thing. Or, you know, the romantic arc of falling in love, like finding the one, falling in love, getting married, living happily ever after. Okay, so if you do that, does that mean you're you're inauthentic because everyone does it and it's what's expected of you? Um, well, I think 
a Beauvoirian way of looking at this is if you're just doing it like unreflectively or pre-reflectively or, you know, just plodding along that path, then that is inauthentic. But it doesn't mean that you can't still make those kind of choices because a lot of people get a lot of joy and get a lot of meaning from from their relationships with partners or children. Um, And so I think as long as you choose that and maybe even acknowledge that, yes, this is something that's that's rewarded in many ways. This is something that, you know, my parents wanted me to do. But if you can think about the alternatives and like really think about the alternatives and if you end up still choosing marriage anyway, then, I mean, fine, that's up to you. And it doesn't mean that your marriage will be the same as everybody else's anyway. And I think it matters how you, how you come into the relationship, how you maintain the relationship, uh, for example, if you end up saying that, oh, well, no, we're married and then that's it and this is a fixed relationship and this can never change, okay, that's problematic because you're turning the marriage into a rock. Whereas if you say, okay, yep, we're married now, but we're both growing, we're both becoming, we we may you know, go on different paths at some point or we may grow, hopefully we grow together and you know, we build something together. But acknowledging that and keeping that into subjective relationship between you going rather than saying, oh, well, no, you, you can't go and do that because, because marriage. Like, okay, so that's veering into inauthentic territory. What might be a sign this thinking for yourself? How does one know that they're thinking for themselves? What are some signs that maybe we're thinking of a past version of ourselves or thinking of you know, influenced by by others. Any anything come to mind as an insight of of really thinking right now who you're becoming today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, another good question. I mean, I think if no one's upset by what you're doing, that's potentially a good indicator that you're doing what everybody wants you to do. Um, and you know, I think just. It's, it comes down, even just asking the question can be, you know, a, a form of, um, you know, maybe even a form of rebellion in some ways. I think that's, mm. I don't know, someone famous said that um, and it wasn't Beauvoir. But, um, yeah, so keeping yourself self in question and, yeah, maybe at the end of the day, asking yourself, you know, am I just doing that? And, you know, we may not always know the answer. You know, I don't know if I'm in this career path because it's what someone, you know, one of my mentors back whenever thought was going to be good for me. You know, I'm never really going to know, but the process of questioning that and the process of me saying, oh, well, I want to do this anyway, or, you know, okay, this person might not approve of me doing this, but, you know, this, this seems like the right direction to me. Then, you know, and with, I mean, this questioning never ends. I mean, it, it can sometimes be tormenting to get into that questioning. But, you know, as long as we question and act, make decisions, reflect, question, act, you know, this kind of process of, of constantly, you know, never being like purely like the rock, but always like knowing that we're a, we're a conscious choosing being, I think that's, that's going to be one of the important things. That's so helpful, Sky, and definitely tormenting, but could also be exciting and and fun as well. Let me ask just one final wrap up question, and if maybe I could make it a two part question here. We ask most guests, time permitting, you know, how you define or think about wisdom in daily life, but maybe part two to that could be. How can wisdom, what role might it play to help us to live authentic lives? I mean, I think if we're, I'm reminded of Schopenhauer here. And Schopenhauer has talked about how, you know, where, you know, basically human life is this blind, stumbling reality, like just clumping through life and, you know, very, you know, uh, so this is, 
So I think a lot of life can be like that, but wisdom, you know, reflecting on our lives, learning, thinking about what it, what it means, like philosophizing. I mean, I think that, you know, we can go down the path of, of ignorance and maybe for some people, ignorance is bliss, but, but I don't think so. I think, you know, knowing who we are, what we're doing here, why, why we're here, why we're acting, how thinking about how we should treat other people, I think that it can be one good path towards towards becoming authentic and towards living fulfilling lives. Um, because we we're humans, we're being given, you know, brains and and you know, consciousness or however you want to think about it. And so so learning and thinking about and and what Beauvoir would call this transcending is that, you know, facticity or the facts of our existence, if we're just, you know being you know a, a, a blob in life then that's that's one thing but you know what she talks about is that it's human to transcend it's human to want to stretch beyond the facts of our lives and that can be scary but it can also be exciting and fulfilling um so that's that's what I think about I guess about wisdom in general um and then the second part of your question was about, you know, authenticity. And, you know, I think authenticity, you know, becoming authentic, not necessarily being authentic because there's no such thing as being authentic, mm-hmm. but becoming, you know, just going out on, on this journey to, to create yourself, to think about yourself as a kind of artwork or to think about your life as a, as a poetic process of, um, you know, writing, writing a poem of your life. It's, it's, it's exhilarating. It's, it's an adventure. Um, and it's, it's, um, uh, it's. I think it's a fascinating process to you know, and keeping yourself in question about how how you're becoming a poet of your own life and how are you, you know, supporting others in becoming poets of their lives too. I love it. I think it's such a a beautiful message, and I I, I think the listeners will as well. I highly recommend the the book How to Be Authentic. Uh, I believe it comes out August fourteenth. Is that correct? Uh, August 16th in the U in North America. Okay. August 16th. Great. I really appreciate you coming on and answering some of these tough perennial questions. Uh, I'm really grateful for you spending, spending time with us. Where do you point listeners interested in, in learning more about you and your work in the world, Sky? Uh, well, I am on social media, Twitter and Instagram, sky underscore Cleary, or I have a website, skycleary.com. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, Sky Cleary, thank you so much for coming on In Search of Wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. Thank you so much for listening. You can get the show notes and links to resources mentioned at perennialleader.com slash podcast. If you're interested in learning more, subscribe to The Path. It's our free weekly newsletter. These are short reflections on wisdom for everyday life right to your inbox. And lastly, I urge you to put what you heard into practice. Until next time, be wise and be well.